Well, good morning, everybody. I hope you're well. I hope you're all in good spirits. And wondering if I was ever actually going to get up here this morning, man. Paul was on, the oil was on you, Paul, man, wasn't it? You, you, you just was like, ah, maybe there's a preacher in you there somewhere. I don't know. Okay, well, we're looking at this uh, series of prayer. And it's my privilege to take the baton on from Chris. And I, I text Chris because I listened to the, I wasn't here last, uh, last week, but I listened to it on podcast. It was a great message. So I said, pray for me that there may be a slick baton changeover. Yeah. If you've ever done athletics, you know, relays, you don't want to drop the baton. So I'm praying this morning, don't drop the baton. So we're going to look at the second half of Luke chapter 11. Hold on a minute. I'm, that's more like it. So I just need to get myself sorted. We're looking at the second half of Luke 11, 5 to 13. Now just, just remember here, Chris last week spoke about the Lord's Prayer. And he mentioned six key points that I'd like to just draw to your attention this morning by way of reminder. He talks about his presence, about the Father, hallowed be your name, that we invoke God's presence when we pray. In fact, we should always recognize that God's presence is with us all the time. We talked about, you talked about praising him and worshiping God, that God's not just your buddy, he is King of kings and Lord of lords. As I think Ecclesiastes says, you know, when you come to the house of God, let your words be few because God is in heaven and you are on earth. So there's a sense of respect for God, yet even though there is an intimacy with God. He talks about purpose. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. The purpose, our purpose is to see God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. He talks about God's provision. Give us this day our daily bread. And he didn't just talk about it for today, but for the future. That we don't want to spend all our life just trying to get money. If we, God can provide for us, and in fact, God is our provider. Then he talks about, you know, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who trespass against us. And he talked about repentance. And repentance isn't just a changing of your, of, your, of, um, of your mind. It's a changing of your heart. It's a changing of your life. It's when we fall into a particular sin, we look to God to, to change our life so that that sin doesn't become, doesn't have power over us. And let me put it this way. It's not just the, the confessing of the sin. It's also finding out what drives you to do that type of thing. You know, when I fail in my life, I, looked, I go to God and I want to know why. Because the, the sin is just the outward thing. What's driving this thing? So part of my repentance is to dig deep and find out what it is that is driving me or what is, it is in me that is broken so that with God's help by the, his Holy Spirit and with the help of the community, those brothers and sisters, we can work together to see that change. That's true repentance. It's not like this is the standard, I confess my sin, and then I will try harder. That's not repentance. Repentance is when we go after it and we ask God to reveal in us what is broken. And then through prayer and through support of brothers and sisters, as we confess our sin and we work it through, we find out what it is until we get released. And then finally, he talked about protection. You know, deliver us from temptation. You know, the fact that we are all subject to temptation. No temptation is overcomeness that is common to man, but God is faithful. But with the temptation, will provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So the fact is we're asking God, Lord, keep us as the apple of your eye. 
Maybe find protection under the shadow of your wing and confuse the enemy concerning us. So those are some of the things that he covered. And remember that the context of, of, of Jesus teaching them how to pray was that the disciples saw him praying. So they must have looked at him and said, man, that's different. Then they asked the question, teach us to pray, which is, of course, what Jesus was waiting for. So remember that, that the way Jesus prayed was different to how the Pharisees and the Sadducees prayed. So the whole teaching came out of the fact that the disciples saw something different about the way that Jesus was praying. They asked the prayer, and Jesus gave them this model. And now what I'm going to do today is we're going to go look at the second half of Luke 11, and we're going to look at 5 to 13. And the way I see verses 5 to 13, they're like two case studies that Jesus gives the disciples. Having given the model of prayer, he says, now, here's some case studies. And we're going to look at them. As I meditated on this, as I prayed over this, I thought, wow, these are case studies here that Jesus is giving us, and we're seeing contrast. So let's have a look at it, and I'm going to read it through now, so you can see it up on the screen. If you're on this, obviously on the podcast, you cannot. You have to listen to my voice. Then Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him the bread because of his friendship, yet because of the shameless audacity, or as one version puts it, his persistence, he will surely get up and give him as much as you need. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of your fathers, if, you, if your son asks for a fish, We'll give him a snake instead. Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So let's look at, as I call it, case study one. This is verses five through to eight. Now, just a few keys here to remember about what Jesus is presenting here. Just remember, in the Middle East, it was not uncommon for a family all to sleep in one room. In fact, it was not uncommon, I believe, in the 14th or 15th or 16th or 17th century for this to happen, even in England. No, they didn't have three-bedroom house. It was normal for people to all be in one house, and in one room, everybody goes to bed. So, you can imagine now, when, he's, when there's this... the guy's like, I'm in my bed. My children are are with me. I'm not getting up. But you see, the fact is this, that because of the guy's persistence, he keeps hammering the door. So of course, 
as any, anybody, and you've got to think about this practically, if someone's hammering your door middle of the night, and it's your friend, first, of course, you roll over. But if it keeps going, what do you do? You have to respond. You know why? Because you want to go back to bed. Let's just look at this then. What most preachers will focus on is the attitude of the friend. And let's just talk about it. You know, what did the friend, what, did the, what attitude did the friend demonstrate? <laughs> well, obviously, he was persistent. He wanted the bread. I like this, shameless audacity. And obviously, he had passion because he wanted to get the bread. Now, here's the point. What would a cat, you know, you could say, well, and I could do this sermon this morning on the, the, the persistence and the attitude of the friend. What exhibits did he uh, demonstrate? And then what I could do is come at you with that and say, you know, in prayer, you need, to be, have a, you need to be persistent, which you do. You need to have passion, which you do. But I'm not going to come at you that way because I don't think it's set up that way. You know, obviously, the characteristics of this person, that he was obviously, he wasn't easily put off. He was focused on the end result, the bread for his friends. He didn't care about what people thought because obviously he was making noise and he wasn't the only person who was being disturbed. You know, if you live on our street with Dunstable, it's in a terrace house. So if someone's banging on the door, everybody knows what's going on. And of course, he was confident he was going to get his request. And there was no doubt about his commitment. He was focused on that, getting the bread. But the only reason that the friend responded, and this is me looking at the text, he was fed up with the noise, and he just wanted to get back to bed. And his kids now are all up, and he's thinking, if I don't actually respond to this person, we are not going to sleep tonight, the children will be tired for school in the morning, my wife and I will be ratted with each other, so I better get rid of this guy. Now, that's the background. That's, the, that's what we're looking at. And I'm just coming at it a different way. Now, contrast that with Luke 11, 9 to 10. Because that's what Jesus is saying. This is guy, he's a friend. The only reason that he's gonna, this friend is going to respond to him is because he's under obligation to do so, so he can have a quiet night's sleep. But Jesus says this, so I say to you, now he's talking to his disciples now. I say to you guys, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be open. And what's the difference? Here's the difference. It's called relationship. It's called relationship. You see, the friend who's knocking to get his mate to, to give him some food, there's no relationship between them other than friends. But when you come to God, you have a relationship with him. If my daughter, Rachel, rang me late in the night, don't you think I'd want to respond to her? If it's my neighbor, it's a different cup of tea. Yeah, I think you're getting it now. You see, when you come to God, you don't have to do all of that stuff because God knows who you are. You have a relationship with him. 
You know, when we come to God the Father to pray, we have a relationship with him. We're not just doing this thing out of some form of religious duty. Now, we know there's some religions where they pray five times a day. And I have friends who who do that. And I've actually been to their house and they say, excuse me, I need to pray. So they go and do their things. And I remember the guy said to me, you can come and pray too. I said, it's all right. I can pray anytime, anyplace, anywhere. (laughs) It's not martini praying, (laughs) right? (laughs) Yeah. Because I have a relationship. I'm not just doing this thing to, to get brownie points with God. I have a relationship with him. You know what? You come, not as some friend. You, if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, you're a son and you're a daughter of the king. So when you come and you knock, he knows it's you. I love that. He knows it's you. He doesn't have to think who's there. He knows it's you. When you seek him, you will find it because he's predisposed toward you. What attitude should we avoid when we come to our Father in prayer? These are things we want to avoid. I'm just going to throw them up here. That he's not predisposed toward us. That he responds to us out of obligation. You see, God is predisposed towards you. He doesn't respond to you out of obligation. Oh my word, it's there again. He does, it's not like that. That he only responds to us if we have great and passionate prayers. I was brought up in the Baptist tradition, and I blessed God for it, man. And I was, when, and I was a young Christian, man, and I heard these guys pray. Man, I couldn't pray like that. But you remember the story in Luke chapter 18 about the tax collector and the Pharisee. And if you read it, it's a really funny story. Because it says that the Pharisee was praying with himself. (laughs) I am not like other people. I am great and marvelous. And and I thank you that I don't do this, that, and the other. And then the tax collector wouldn't even lift up his head to heaven. But he said, oh God, have mercy on me. And Jesus said, the tax collector went down to his house more justified than the Pharisee. And it's not the length or the passion of your prayers. It's your heart. And if we're not praying persistently that he will not answer you know it's not about performance that God you know just because you haven't been there for a long time when he comes you pray and he goes who's that (laughs) he knows who you are and these are things that we kind of develop in us and we mustn't develop them because God is presupposed toward us we are his sons and daughters he wants to hear us so what does the Bible say God is really like toward us Psalm 103 tells says this, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, that's bounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve. Oh, thank you, Lord Jesus. Because none of us would be here, would we? Or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love. For those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, as so far has he removed our transgressions from us. So he's compassionate, he's gracious, he's forgiving, he's long suffering. That's what God is like toward us. Romans 8 32 33 says this What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, 
Who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us, how will he not also, along with him, graciously, graciously give us all things? Friends, one of the major challenges that we have when we come to prayer is that we don't believe that God is for us. We only believe that God is for us, providing we keep all the rules and we've not sinned that week and we've had our quiet time every day. So if we haven't done any of those things, we kind of think, well, I don't know if God will hear me today. Look, God is for you, even when you're bad. And in fact, when you're bad, when you sin, he's just as much for you as when you don't. He's just as much for you when you sin as when you don't. And I know what I'm like. I don't know what you're like. But when you fall and you sin, do you rush to God and rush to his people? Or do you want to stay away in isolation? Yeah. I know what I'm like. I just want to withdraw into isolation, wallowing my sin and, and whatever. And then, you know, slowly but surely, after I have done a few days in purgatory, I, I re-emerge into the community. <laughs> and people say, how are you, brother? Oh, I'm so well. Liar. Which makes me feel even worse. Well, the truth is this, that you know what? What should happen is we should run to God and we should run to the community, to those people who pray for us. Think of it this way. When your body, if you receive a cut on your body, you know what happens? Those, the blood, the white cells, all kind of come to attack the infection, to protect the, that, that cut in the skin and to make sure that, that all the infection is kept out. And in the body, what the body, when you come to God and you run to God, he comes to deal with the sin. And when you confess your sin to someone else and you pray with them, the, the, the antiseptic of the body cleanses you and you get back in and you're safe. God never intended for us to be in isolation. And sin tends to isolate us. But you see, if you understand that God wants to, loves you even when you fail, and he knew you were going to fail anyway, and he made provision for you anyway with the blood of Jesus and when you confess your sins and with the brothers and sisters so you could receive grace and mercy and truth. And by the way, you get grace and mercy two ways. You get it through his word and you get it through each other. I like the, the from God bit. I wasn't too sure about the each other from other people bit <laughs> because I had to make myself vulnerable and transparent. But God intended it that we, when we confess our sins, when we pray for one another, we receive God's grace. As well as from his word and through prayer and through meditation and through the sacraments. So you need to know that God is for us as you come to the place of prayer. So what attitude should we develop as we come to God, the Father, in prayer? Expectation expectation that God wants to receive you, that he knows you by name. So when you come and, he, and you come to pray for him, he says, yeah, now you're Larry, good to see you, welcome. That's how God is. It's not, who are you? What are you doing here? No, there's an expectation that God wants to receive you. Whatever your situation, whatever your condition, wherever you, whatever's going on in your life, that is an expectation that when you come, you will be received. That if you ask him, he will respond. 
If you seek him, he will, you will find him. If you knock, the door will be open because he's your father. And you know what? When you have kids, those you've got them, doesn't matter whether they're doing well or not, you still love them. Even if they're hurting you, you still love them. And God loves you irrespective of what's going on. So when you come to him in prayer, he's there to receive you. What's the biblical word for expectation? Faith. What does Hebrews 11.6 tell us? It says, it says this. And without faith, it's what? Impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must what? Believe that he exists. And here's the beautiful bit. That he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So as you earnestly seek him with faith, that he's for you, that he's compassionate towards you, that he has mercy on you, that he's gracious, that he's kind, you know you will be received. You're not going to have to batter down the door. You're not an inconvenience. You're not an accident. God knows your name, and he's glad to receive you. So we come to case study two. Luke 11, 11 to 13. Which of your fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? Will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Jesus here is contrasting the difference between, between the heavenly Father and an earthly Father. Now, for some of us, you, you say the word Father, and that has negative connotations for us. For others, we have warm feelings. But how do we see God the Father? How do we see him? This is very important. Do you see God the Father as gracious or judgmental? Kind or harsh? Generous or tight-fisted? For you or against you? Loving or distant? If we have a dysfunctional view of God, it will affect our prayer life. So one of these things is, we've got to understand this, that if we have a dysfunctional view of God, it affects our prayer life. You see, the view that the disciples, let's take it back into the text, had, was that prayer was something that you did as a religious duty. There was no relational aspect to it at all. The five times a day type prayer stuff, I've seen it, there's, not, there's nothing relational about that. You do it because if you don't do it, you're going to be in trouble. And you want to be in good standing with God, so you do it, do it five times a day. So they have a view of God that God is judgmental. If you don't do it, you're going to be in trouble. But if you understand, if your view of God is that he's gracious, that he's kind, that he's generous, that he's for you, that he's loving, then when you come to the place of prayer, prayer is not a difficult thing. I, I, you know, in my own life, prayer is just like Chris was saying, he was talking autobiographically, 
I speak the same. Prayer is a very important thing in my life, and I spend a lot of time doing it. I'm not just saying that so it's you, holy man of God. It's just the way it is. It's not difficult for me to spend a half a morning because I work for myself. And by the time I've, you know, come before him and ask the Holy Spirit to just help me and I start to pray through things and start to pray for the church and pray for individuals and pray about things in my life and then sit down and I just wait on him, half the morning's gone. Whereas I remember when I was, you know, way back, I used to be a part of Intercessors for Britain and you would plug in that you would pray one hour and the scripture that got you was, could you not wait one hour? You know, that was the scripture. So I'd get up, ring, six o'clock get down there, start to pray for issues in the nation. And I did it. Of course I did it because the kind of makeup I have, I can do it because I'm fairly disciplined. You know, I used to do athletics and train six days a week and three times a day. And so therefore, for me to get up at six o'clock, it was okay. But it was hard work. Sometimes I'm sure doing that six o'clock from six to seven, I don't remember what happened for the first half hour. (laughs) Wake up. I know none of you have never done that. So, so well, I, I don't remember much of it because I fell asleep, but I, I, did the, I did the discipline. Whereas now, to pray for an hour, it, it's no big deal because I'm not looking at the clock. I'm talking through things with Father. I'm waiting on him. There's an intimacy that's going on there. It, it's part of my devotional life. It's an important part of my life. Chris has introduced me to kind of prayer walking, so I'll, I'll go up to, we live in Dunstable, Tree Cathedral, and walk up from there to, onto the downs and walk and pray and talk and just listen to what God has to say. And it's a relational thing. It's not some kind of religious activity that you need to do so you can get brownie points with God. It doesn't work that way, friends. And you see, I, I know there's some traditions, you see, that they see what the scripture says, this thing cometh only by prayer and fasting. So they're constantly always fasting. I'm not saying fasting is not wrong. We do it. But it's not a way of kind of wringing God's hand to get him to do something. We've, I spent a whole night in prayer. You know, we used to do it at the church I got, we used to go to. Good thing. You know, mm, I've done half night of prayer. Yeah, great. No. But you can, if, if you're going before God and you want your relationship with him, it's not a difficult thing to do. Because it's relational. You know, you're, you're spending time with God and you just feel that you need to spend some time praying and fasting, so you just do it. You don't do it because you, got, because you need to try and wring something out of God's hands. It doesn't work like that. So, who has God sent to help us pray and communicate the heart of the Father to us? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. And it's like Jesus keeps the best till the end. What would the Holy Spirit help us to do? Because he's the key. You see, what you need to realize is that in Luke 11, when Jesus spoke this to the disciples, it was revolutionary. No one had taught them to pray like this, to have a, an intimate relationship with God, that God would actually want to respond to us, that he's predisposed to us, that he's ready to receive us. This is revolutionary. And then Jesus says, you know what the key is? And who you need to ask for? The Holy Spirit. You know, the Holy Spirit has been one of the most maligned parts of the Trinity. But yet, he's the one. And the enemy's not full, full because it's not the Holy Spirit that communicates to us what God is like. Now that Jesus is gone to heaven. So what will he help us to do? Well, Romans 8, 27, 27, 26 says this. He helps us to pray. Now, this is a beautiful verse. I love it. It says this. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. I love that because we are weak. 
at times prayer is not easy. And if life has impacted you, if you've had stuff happen to you, like a stuff has happened to me, you've lost a job or you've lost a loved one or, or difficult circumstances have come upon you and you've been overwhelmed by it, then you feel weak. But what, is, what does it say here? We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit. Because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. This is wonderful. That you don't know how to pray, but you ask, you ask the Holy Spirit to help you. Or you're so cast down and overwhelmed by your circumstances that all you can do is just cry. Your heart is overwhelmed. Your heart is broken. And you just come to God. And the Holy Spirit will come and help. In fact, you may not even mention any words, but they can read your heart. He can read your heart. He could communicate to the Father what's in it and help you to pray in the will of, into the will of God when you can't. And he can also help you when you can. When I had the prayer, I usually just ask the Holy Spirit to come to help me. And I'll, usually I'll take his word and if there's a scripture that I've been given, I'll pray that back to him. And I ask the Holy Spirit, just help me. Help me as I pray. Because prayer is nothing more than praying back to God what he's given you. It's not just a matter of you going through your shopping list. But the Holy Spirit not only does that, he communicates God's love to us directly. Romans 5.5. 5. You see, you need to know in your heart that God loves you. And hope does not put us to shame or disappoint. Because God's love has been what? Poured out into where? Our hearts. Through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. When you know that you're loved, do you think it's difficult to come to the Father who loves you? It's not difficult. And you know, the other thing that he communicates to us, he communicates our sonship and daughtership. Politically correct. <laughs> Romans 8, 5 and 16. The spirit you have received does not make you slaves. You're not just coming to God to appease him or to be in right standing with him when you come to pray. So that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to what? Sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father, we've come home. The spirit himself testifies with, with our spirit that we are children of God. So the Holy Spirit confirms that we're part of the family. So when you turn up to pray, Hi, Tony. Good to see you. What's your request? Ask, and you will receive. Knock, and it will be opened unto you. Seek me, and you'll find me. I'm predisposed towards you, Tony. Whatever you ask, in my name, you receive it in my name. Because you're my son. I died for you. I sent my son for you. And my spirit is upon you. And I recognize who you are. So when you come into prayer, you have a worry. You're received. You're accepted makes a difference. It's six o'clock, I must pray. That's, a dif that's the difference. Is you can't compare it because one's relational, one's just, oh, better do it or else I'm in trouble. Yeah, not, not to say this, that we shouldn't be disciplined in prayer. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying this, that 
the basis of us praying is relational. Jesus was teaching the disciples that prayer is a relational activity. It's not just a religious activity. You're, having a, you're engaging with a living God who wants to have intimacy with, intimacy with you through prayer. So, is that good? Is that okay? Yeah. Okay. So let's conclude then. Then you can have a donut and you can have some coffee and tea. Jesus teaches us that prayer is relational because God our Father knows us by name. We should therefore come before him in prayer confident that he will hear us because of who we are, sons and daughters of the King. As we ask for the Holy Spirit to help us to pray, what we will discover is that our relationship with God deepens we will find that we persist in prayer and our passion for his name and his fame is increased in our hearts should we stand could I have the band back up please thank you father wanted to sh- Jesus wanted to show us that prayer is relational that our father in heaven is there wanting to receive us, wanting to hear our requests. That if you go to him and you ask, you will receive. That if you knock the door, it will be open to you. If you seek him with expectation, you will find him. And friends, it's in the place of prayer that we, we get to know God and he gets to know us. And we shouldn't be afraid to go there and just see it as some religious activity. Who we are and what we are in that secret place is what we really are before people. And you know the Lord says this, he says, if you come and pray in secret, I will reward you in public. If you come and spend time with me and I with you, You will get to know my heart. You'll get to know my ways. You'll get to know my word. You'll understand that I'm a God full of love and compassion and mercy, and I care about the detail of your life. There's nothing that happens in your life that I don't know about. And as you come to me, and as you bring your tears, and as you bring your anxieties, and as you bring your worries, So I, the Lord, will minister my life and my peace into your heart. And you will have a peace that passes all understanding. You will know that I am the God who is with you right there. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be fearful, for I am your provider. I am the Lord your God. I hold you in the hallow of my hand. And as I am greater than all, none can pluck you out of my hand. So as you come to the secret place, As you come into my presence, as you hallow my name, and as you spend time with me, I will deposit in you my character, my life, my love, my mercy, my grace, my truth, that you might pass on that grace and that mercy and that truth to others. He who dwells in the shadow of the Most High shall not fear, the arrow that cometh by day, nor the pestilence that cometh by night. Because 
he has made the Lord his dwelling place. I would encourage you greatly to spend time in prayer and build a relationship with God. That's where you get to know him. Amen.